So you clicked on this because you want to know what's going on in Vladimir Putin's head. Like, why did he invade the Ukraine? And there are plenty of blog posts and articles and YouTube videos out there trying to explain it. What I'm going to do is go through his speech of the 24th, the day that he launched the invasion, he gave a speech to explain to his people what he was doing and why. So I'm going to go through it. I'll read certain chunks of it, and I will kind of interpret what he's doing. Okay, stay tuned. In a world of incompetent bosses, micromanagers, and petty tyrants, one management professor claims that he can help you become the kind of leader that you would want to follow. You are listening to The Leadersmith. Now, here is your host, Darren Gertis. So on the 24th of February, Vladimir Putin invaded the Ukraine. Now, that same day, he delivered this speech and addressed to the, to the nation, announcing the start of military campaign in Ukraine. And I'm going to read large chunks of it along the way. I'm not going to read the entirety, but I'm going to read and comment on what's going on, try to interpret for you and help you understand what's going on. Okay. So he said, citizens of Russia, friends, and he, I'm going to skip the first paragraph, but he says this in a second, I will begin what I said in my address on February 21st, 2022. I spoke about our biggest concerns and worries and about the fundamental threats, which irresponsible Western politicians created for Russia consistently rudely and unceremoniously from year to year. I'm referring to the eastward expansion of NATO, which is moving its military infrastructure ever closer to the Russian border. Okay, stop. His address of February 21st, he was talking about how essentially Ukraine and Russia are the same people and ought to be united. That's what that background is. Maybe I'll go and read that another day and kind of interpret what's going on there. But he's right. The expansion of NATO it has been moving closer and closer to the Russian border. Now, remember, NATO is the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, and it was designed to block Soviet aggression because the Soviets, okay, go back at the Soviet Union, Russia primarily, after World War II, started gobbling up these nations in, in Europe and bringing them into their orbit against their will. It's not like they were saying, hey, do you want to be allied with us? No, no, no. They were rolling in with tanks and taking over. And so NATO as a was, was very defensive and said, uh, you know, we better kind of circle the wagons here. And that's what they did in Western Europe. So he's saying, well, they keep encroaching. Yes, but they're voluntarily joining because they're scared of what you might do to them again. So that's kind of what's going on here. NATO it has moved closer and closer and is right on the border of Russia in the Baltic states in Lithuania, Estonia, and Latvia. Okay, so it's true. Um, and if the Ukraine came into NATO, it would be a big swath of land right on the border of Russia. And Putin doesn't want that. But again, you know, do you woo the Ukraine to be in your orbit or do you chase them away or, you know, bomb them into oblivion to bring them to your orbit? Okay, let me continue. It is a fact that over the past 30 years, we have been patiently trying to come into an agreement with the leading NATO countries regarding the principles of equal and indivisible security in Europe. That's kind of a laughable thing because, again, NATO formed because of Soviet aggression and the past 30 years is since the collapse of the, of the Soviet Union. Okay, Its military machine is moving and, as I said, approaching our very border. He's not wrong. I mean, they are moving and these former Soviet countries, Romania and, and others, are have been coming into NATO's orbit. Okay. 
What is the explanation for this contemptuous and disdainful attitude to our interests and absolutely legitimate demands? Okay, so he is demanding that NATO not uh, bring anyone who is former Warsaw Pact. So the NATO nations formed, and then the Soviet Union called the, the states that they gobbled up the Warsaw Pact. Okay, and these were the Eastern Bloc and, and part of the Soviet Union's empire, right? Uh, and so he feels that they shouldn't be, you know, transferring from one allegiance to another, where they were never really, it wasn't really allegiance to the Soviets, it was, we were enslaved to the Soviets. So that, that's a different thing. Okay, in the late 1980s, the Soviet Union grew weaker and weaker, and subsequently broke apart. We lost confidence for only one moment, but it was enough to disrupt the balance of forces in the world. That's right. They lost confidence. The Soviet Union broke apart and the world geopolitically shifted radically. He said the result, the old treaties and agreements are no longer effective. And a little bit later, those who refuse to comply are subjected to strong arm tactics. So he's saying that the West is strong arming Russia. He's explaining this speech about why he's invading the Ukraine to his people painting him as the victim. So this is the defensive war. That's why he's going into Ukraine to, you know, set the balance right. Okay. So, that, so that's the background. By the way, when he entered Crimea eight years ago, he took over a large swath of Ukraine called the Crimea. Now, again, this is contested territory. And historically, if you look at where on the map the Crimea is, um, Khrushchev gave the Crimea to the Ukraine. Uh, it was Russian. Um, the Ukraine and Russia were at different times in history, both the same people group. I mean, it, it depends. Like, So Hitler had a really interesting uh, argument in Mein Kampf. And I know this because I read Mein Kampf for my uh, master's thesis on the Third Reich, where he was talking about like, like which which map of Europe do we use? I mean, like if you're in at, th at this particular date, it looks like this. But if you roll back the clock to here, it looks like this. And that's what Putin is doing right now. It's the same kind of thing. He's lo like looking at it and going like this was part of Russia and it should still be part of Russia because he's trying to expand. Like he's already got the largest country on Earth geographically, but he's trying to expand the border through Ukraine, uh, through Ukraine. OK, Um so he says, Russia is not the only country in the world that is worried about this. Well, I mean, it's like you, maybe Syria, China. Um, there's not a lot that's really concerned about it. The collapse of the Soviet Union led to the redivision of the world and the norms of international law that developed at the time. That's true. However, this should have been done professionally, smoothly, patiently, and with due regard and respect to the interest of all states. Instead, we saw the state of euphoria created by the feeling of absolute superiority, a kind of modern absolutism. Okay, this is a rich coming from the country that was threatening, like saber rattling for decades about how they were going to take over the entire world. So I don't have a lot of, you know, sadness for him. Okay, a kind of modern absolutism um, of those who formulated and pushed through the decisions that suited only themselves. Yeah, I mean, the West is trying to make sure that this doesn't happen again. So they are suiting only themselves. There are many examples of this. First, a bloody military occupation was waged against Belgrade without the UN Security Council's sanction. Okay, talk about rich. 
<laughs> without the UN Security Council sanction. And what are you doing that the UN Security Council is absolutely condemning right now, saying you must stop this, you must get out, respect the sovereignty of another nation, uh, you must withdraw your forces. But I mean, it doesn't matter here, but it mattered in Belgrade. Now, why did it matter in Belgrade? Belgrade was the the center of the former Czechos, uh, you know, Yugoslavia, right? And so this was part of that Russian sphere of influence. And when it broke up, it was a kind of a bad thing. We were like Serbia and Croatia and all that. Uh, it was a bad thing when these other nations kind of fell apart and like, it was part of the disintegration of the Soviet sphere of influence. And so he's upset about this. The bombing of a pe of peaceful cities and vital infrastructure went on for several weeks. I have to recall these facts because some Western colleagues prefer to forget them. Look, you're doing that now. You're bombing a peaceful, ci a peaceful cities that are not fighting with you. I mean, they're fighting back defensively, but they're not like invading your country. So, you know, it, it is what it is. He's going to bend the facts to see things a particular way. Then again, again, remember, he is he's giving this speech to the Russians to give him a clear give them a rationale for why he's doing what he's doing, by the way. When he entered the Crimea, I talked about earlier, when he entered the Crimea in 2014, his popularity shot up sky high. Like it jumped like 15, 20 points. Okay. Then came the turn of Iraq, Libya, Syria, the illegal use of military power against Libya and the distortion of all the UN Security Council decisions on Libya ruined the state. I Okay. So Libya did fall. Um created a huge seat of international terrorism and pushed the country toward humanitarian catastrophe and the vortex of civil war, which the country continued for years. Okay. Uh, so he's trying to say, look, you got, you did this too. <laughs> okay. A similar fate was also prepared for Syria. The combat operations conducted by the Western coalition in that country without the Syrian government's approval. Now, if you were paying attention to what was going on in Syria, the Syrian government is terrorizing their own people, using gas, uh, chemical weapons that are banned internationally. And so th they're bad, right? I mean, this, this is not a great place to be. And Putin came in on the side of the Syrians in order to like he's coming in to to stop the terrorists. I'm using air quotes here to stop the terrorists, but he's not really doing that. He really was working kind of against the interest of the U.S. to make sure that the Syrian government stayed propped up. But the example that stands apart from the above events is, of course, the invasion of Iraq without any legal grounds. They used the pretext of weapons of mass destructions in Iraq. OK, it later turned out that all of that was fake and a sham and Iraq did not have any chemical weapons. Incredible and shocking, but true. OK, did uh, they find chemical weapons in Iraq? No, they did not. Did every pretty much every Western government that were all sharing their um, their intelligence think that they had these weapons of, of mass destruction? Yes. So it turns out, and this is my read, I'm, I'm not, I can't say that this is exactly what happened, but I think uh, Saddam was saying he had them, right? <laughs> so I think Saddam was trying to look like, yeah, look, I have these and I'm going to do this. And they called his bluff. And, you know, it turns out that while he was talking to his neighbors, trying to look like the baddest guy on the block, um, he got taken out because he was trying to look like he had. So at any rate, um, <laughs> it, it didn't work out very well for Saddam. The invasion of Iraq was probably not that great of an idea, but we didn't know that. We thought 
you know, and again, after 9-11, we're a little nervous about this. If they do have this and they can potentially weaponize and use this, we're not taking chances. So that was what was going on there. But he's using this to say, see, these American aggressors, they're hypocrites. They're saying that we can't do this, but they're doing this. And that's what's going on. Okay. Overall, it appears nearly everywhere in many regions of the world where the United States has brought law, law and order, this created bloody non-healing wounds and the curse of international terrorism and extremism and disregard for international law. Okay, again, the bad guy is the United States. He's talking about this as part of his reason for going into the Ukraine. Okay, this array includes promises not to expand NATO East even by an inch. Okay, what are we talking about? Promises not to expand NATO by an inch. He's going to try to explain it. They have played us. Sure, one often hears that politics is dirty business. It could be, but it shouldn't be as dirty as it is now. Not to such extent. Where is the justice and truth here? Just lies and hypocrisy all around. Okay, so when the Soviet Union's collapsing, NATO is essentially at that point saying, look, we're not trying to expand NATO, um, you know, and and that was their perception at the time. They were just like, this is a defensive posture. Then the Soviet Union collapses and they're like, you know what? Uh, all these uh, former Warsaw Pact countries are like, please take us in. We want to join NATO. We don't ever want this to happen to us again. And so it changed. But the Soviet Union was no longer the Soviet Union. All that's left was Russia and whatever those other independent, like 15 different independent countries were. Okay, a little bit further down. The United States, he's talking about all its satellites. When he's talking about satellites, he's talking about these other nations, like the United States is at the center of NATO, at, just like Russia was at the center of the Soviet Union. All its satellites not only humbly and obediently say yes to and parrot it at the slightest pretext, but also imitate its behavior and enthusiastically accept the rules of its it is offering them. Therefore, one can say with good reason and confidence that the whole so-called Western bloc formed by the United States in its own image and its likeness is in its entirety the very same empire of lies. Okay, so he's calling us an empire of lies, which Okay, fair enough. If that's how you want to perceive us, um, you're the evil empire. Reagan gave us gave you that moniker. So if he wants to call us an empire of lies, fine. But again, this is his perception, and this is what he's communicating to the Russians before he invades the Ukraine. Okay, as for our country, he says, after the disintegration of the USSR, given the entire unprecedented openness of the new modern Russia, its readiness to work with the United States and other Western partners, and its practically unilateral disarmament, they immediately tried to put the financial squeeze on us, finish us off, utterly destroy us. Not exactly. I mean, the, the U.S.'s posture was, yeah, we don't want you to fight with us. We do want you to enter into capitalism. There is a large contingent that wanted you to become like the, the other capitalist power, right, so that we would all get along. They just sought to destroy our traditional values. Really? What are your traditional values exactly? Hold on. Um, they sought to destroy our traditional values and force on us false values that would erode us, our people from within, the attitudes they have been aggressively imposing on their on their countries, attitudes that are directly leading to the degradation and degeneration because they are contrary to human nature. This is not going to happen. No one has ever succeeded in doing this, nor will they succeed now. So 
you don't want freedom and everything that comes with it. Now, it's there is something to it. Like some Western values are not the best values, but the whole idea that it's better to have the former Soviet values of totalitarianism. He's talking about the the you know we're one nation and we're I, the, the strong arm authoritarianish uh, values that come with the values that are contrary to the West. So contrary to the West means what? Democracy and the freedom that comes in with that, it has a a splintering effect, a a, a decentralized effect. And that's bad because people might do different things. And okay, at any rate, I'm belaboring that. uh, But we, the United States, shouldn't erode them with our values. Okay. Despite all that, in December of 2021, we made yet another attempt to reach an agreement with the United States and its allies on the principles of European security and NATO non-expansion. Okay, and they did. They were trying to say, don't expand NATO, stop, stop expanding. And, you know, essentially, they're trying to tell NATO what to do. Um, The United States does not believe it is necessary to agree with Russia on a matter that is critical for us. Fair. This is the most truthful, clear statement that all sides can agree on of anything he said. The United States does not uh, not believe that they need to uh, abide by Russia's view of this. Um, So this begs the question, what next? What are we to expect? If history is any guide, we know that in 1940 and early 1941, beginning of World War II, he's talking about, uh, the Soviet Union went to great lengths to prevent a war or at least delay its outbreak. Well, I mean, you kind of made a deal with Hitler so that, you know, you wouldn't, you'd be left alone and he could carve up the rest of the world. I'm not sure this is the greatest argument to start with. Uh, To this end, the USSR sought not to provoke the potential aggressor until the very end by refraining or postponing the most urgent and obvious preparations it had to make to defend itself from an imminent attack. When it finally acted, it was too late. So he's saying that the Soviets did not arm themselves while they had this pact with Hitler because they didn't want to provoke Hitler. And you know, as a consequence, Hitler rolled over Ukraine right into uh, the Soviet Union. And it was, I mean, they, they did lose 20 million people during what they called the Great Patriotic War. So I get that. But I mean, this is a little flimsy in order to be arguing from that into why they have to go into the Ukraine. Okay. As a result, the country was not prepared to counter the invasion by Nazi Germany. A little bit further, he says the attempt to appease the aggressor ahead of the great patriotic war proved to be a mistake which came at a high cost for our people. We lost vast territories of strategic importance as well as as millions of lives. We will not make the same mistake a second time. Again, he's looking at the the map and saying, but we actually own all this land. Well, yes, in 18 something or 17 something, you did own that land, but that's not the same as owning the same, that, that land in 2022, right? So the map shifted and people are free or in your bondage, depending on what time that you're looking at the map. Uh, We are aware of this and have an objective view of the economic threats we have been hearing, just as our ability to counter this brash, never-ending blackmail. So who's never-ending blackmailing them? It's the West. It's the United States and their gang of minions called NATO. Okay, so that's the argument that he's making. 
Uh, he's talking about in the military, even after the dissolution of the USSR and losing a considerable part of its capabilities, today Russia remains one of the most powerful nuclear states. And he's waving that all around, right? I mean, he's threatening that and saying, like, if NATO gets involved, we're going to have a nuclear war and it'll be your fault. It's, it's like blaming the victim. That's what he's doing. Moreover, it has a certain advantage in several cutting edge weapons. In this context, there must be no doubt for anyone that any potential aggressor will face defeat and ominous consequences should it directly attack our country. So he's saying if you cross this line, this is what's going to happen and it'll be your fault because you're bad. Okay, a military presence in Russia's neighboring territories, if we permit it to go ahead, will stay for decades and come or maybe forever, creating an ever-mounting and totally unacceptable threat for Russia. I get that. I understand what he's saying, because we didn't like that when we had the Cuban Missile Crisis. Okay, so it, he, so put, it, put yourself in Putin's shoes in, in this way. You're in the U.S., and Canada is uh, cozying up to the Soviets, and they want to uh, join the Soviet Union as part of this block. For whatever reason, they're, they're just socialist enough that they want to actually join that block. We wouldn't be very happy about that, and I get that. But what he's saying is that we in the United States, if we're Russia, would, would roll over Canada, militarily attack them, take them over by force so that they don't cozy up to the Soviets and become their buddies. Like, that's what he's doing. And so that's that's what he's talking about here. Okay, so with NATO's eastward expansion and the situation for Russia has becoming worse uh, and more dangerous by the year, we cannot stay idle and passively observe those developments. It's true. It has become worse over time from the former Soviet perspective, from Russia's perspective of, of losing uh, this grand footing that they had in the world. Any further expansion of the North Atlantic Alliance's infrastructure or the ongoing efforts to gain a military foothold of the Ukraine territory are unacceptable for us. Of course, the question is not about NATO itself. It merely serves as a tool of U.S. foreign policy. Again, the U.S., we're the bad guys. Um, in Russia's neighboring territory, which I have uh, to note, is our historical land. And he noted that in the February 21st speech and talked about how the, the Kiev Rus, there were one people culturally with the Russians that Kiev, like Kiev is the head of uh, the capital of uh, Ukraine. It was all part of one landmass, depending on when you look at the map. Um, a hostile anti-Russia is taking shape. Well, there's a reason for that. Why do you suppose that there's a reason that there's a hostile presence forming in what was Russia's native land? Because you haven't treated them very well. I mean, they were like a they were actually number two during the Soviet Union, like Russia and then Ukraine was like the next most important country. But since then, you haven't treated them well. You've invaded them eight years ago and took away the Crimea and the Donbass or occupied the Donbass. And you've been saber rattling for the last eight years. So you're not, I mean, it's almost like a, talking to your battered girlfriend and being like, why don't you love me? Why don't you love me? <laughs> well, probably if you stop hitting me, honey, you know, I mean, that might be part of it. Okay. So in Russia's neighboring territory, which I have to note is our historical land, a hostile anti-Russia is taking shape. Fully controlled from the outside, it is doing everything to attract NATO 
armed forces and obtain cutting edge weapons. Yes, it is because it's the battered girlfriend. It is trying to run to the arms of the jock over here, the football player that is going to protect it from you or, or hopes that it will protect from you. That is actually what's going on because you keep battering it. Stop battering it like you're doing now. Stop. Okay, for the United States and its allies, it's a policy of containing Russia. For our country, it's a matter of life and death, a matter of historic uh, of our historical future as a nation. It's not only a very real threat to our interests, but to the very existence of our state and to its sovereignty. It is the red line which we have spoken about on numerous occasions. They have crossed it. Okay, so it's the West that has crossed this line, causing us to have to have this defensive war. That's what he's saying. Okay, so this is what's in Putin's mind. He's saying, you're causing me. I didn't want this fight, really. Okay, so, but he's saying, I I didn't want this. I didn't bring this on, but we have to do this because you keep expanding into our territory. We can see that the forces that staged the coup in Ukraine in 2014 have seized power and are keeping it with the help of ornamental election procedures. Okay, so the coup in 2014, he rolls in into the Crimea and the Donbass, and he's kind of uh, there occupying it, and he's still occupying it. And by the way, they have plainclothes Russian soldiers there. Now, by the way, those regions are probably as close to Russia as any part of the country. Like, their their sympathies, there's a, a, a higher percentage of ethnic Russians in those in those areas, right? That That is fair. But and so their sympathy leans more toward Russia than the rest of the country, which leans a well away from Russia. Um, that's true. But he also has plainclothes soldiers in that area kind of occupying it. And he, now he's talking about people that are opposed to that from Ukraine that are trying to unwind that ball of yarn that he's created. OK, we have been doing everything possible to settle the situation by peaceful means. Everything was in vain. Well, by you mean by settling it, by making it its independent state or bringing it into Russia or whatever else. That's not the same thing as trying to settle it. Uh, as I've said in my previous address, you cannot look without compassion at what is happening there. It has become impossible to tolerate it. We had to stop that atrocity, that genocide of the millions of people who live there and who pin their hopes on Russia. OK, but again, you started it. I mean, if if I pick a fight and then I, I'm well, I'm not going to belabor that, um, that there were a, a, the main motivating force behind our decision to recognize the independence of the Donbass People's Republics. Why did they recognize the independence? Well, now you're not no longer part of the Ukraine. And now we can send in peacekeepers in order to make sure that you bad Ukrainians don't come in and try to to bully them into becoming part of that your country again, because they're independent now, which is bizarre. Right. Like they're independent now, but what about the independent, the sovereignty of Ukraine itself? <laughs> so again, he's only ever looking at half the equation, whatever gives him the best view of this. Okay, keep going. The, uh, the leading NATO countries are supporting the far right nationalists and neo-Nazis in Ukraine. Okay, now part of this is laughable and part of this has its roots in history. Ukraine um, in World War II was kind of divided. The Western half kind of sympathized with Germany uh, against Russian um, hegemony within Ukraine. And the Eastern side of Ukraine generally was with the Red Army fighting Germany. Like, like the bad guy, clearly, I don't want anybody siding with the Nazis. That's bad. But 
I, after the Nazis are gone, the Soviets became bad. So, I mean, they were already bad, but the, we had a, we were allied with them in order to defeat the Nazis. Okay. So it, but for the Ukrainians, they're either dominated by this or dominated by that. Okay. But there were these Nazis and Nazi sympathizers, but we're talking about neo-Nazis. And there's even like a small division I read about that was uh, neo-Nazi within the National Guard or something along those lines. But it's kind of laughable at the same time to, you know, so we're, we're trying to stop the neo-Nazis in Ukraine. Um, your president's Jewish, right? I mean, so, but they talked about neo-Nazi nationalists. And so nationalists are people who are very strongly like you, this is Ukraine. This is our sovereign territory. We're not, so it's not just neo-Nazi, like you're thinking Charlottesville, Virginia, like that, like that protest. It's not like, just like that. It's, nationalists who are defending Ukraine that he's upset against and trying to take, say, the Donbass back from your occupation. Okay, the leading NATO countries are supporting the far-right nationalists and neo-Nazis in Ukraine, those who will never forgive the people of Crimea and Sevastopol for freely making the choice to reunite with Russia. Well, they didn't really freely make the choice to reunite with the Russia. You came in and occupy them and then said, it's our territory again, try to take it. So it's it's not exactly what you said. Uh, they will undoubtedly try to bring war to Crimea just as they have done in the Donbass to kill innocent people. Okay, so what he's saying is that they're going to hurt these innocents. But what really is, if they are trying to take it back, they're trying to reunite their country. Um, so that's actually the Ukrainian perception. All right, keep going. The showdown between Russia and these forces cannot be avoided. No, because we're rolling our tanks into Ukraine as we speak. They went as far as to aspire the, uh, to acquire nuclear weapons. We will not let this happen. Okay, now here's really something very interesting. So when the Ukraine uh, became an independent country, shortly thereafter, they gave up all their nuclear weapons. And the lesson to the world is, don't give up your nuclear weapons because it had kind of a tacit agreement with the West that something like this would never happen to them. And yet it's happening. Now, if they were, if they still, and I, I'm not saying that I wanted Ukraine to still have nuclear weapons, because who knew who would have the control of that? Like, which oligarch would <laughs> would snatch some nuclear weapon and sell it off to whoever the highest bidder was, right? We don't want that. Um, but Ukraine tacitly had this agreement with the Western powers that if you give this up, we'll protect you. And they didn't. And so now we've got another problem. Russia cannot feel safe, develop, and exist while facing a permanent threat from the territory of today's Ukraine. Notice how he phrased that, the territory of today's Ukraine, which means tomorrow's Russia. That's how he's seeing this. Or at least a large swath of this will be tomorrow's Russia, if he gets his way. In 2014, we supported the people of Crimea and Sevastopol. In 2015, we used our armed forces to create a reliable shield that prevented terrorists from Syria from penetrating Russia. This was a matter of defending ourselves. We had no other choice. Okay, so you know what happened in Crimea, and you know that they were supporting the Syrian government against the Islamists that were trying to take it down. Now, there's nobody good in that fight either. Syrian government was bad. The Islamists were like uh, ISIL or ISIS. And so like, who's the good guy? It's, it's pretty hard to tell. Uh, keep going. They did not leave us any other option for defending Russia and our people other than the one that we are forced to use today. Oh, that's interesting. In these circumstances, we have to take bold and immediate action. The People's Republics of the Donbass of have asked Russia for help. So the part that we carved out, we're they they have 
asked for help. He's taken a page out of Hitler's playbook. If you understand what happened in World War II, uh, Hitler used the pretext that Germans, ethnic Germans in Poland were being oppressed or uh, persecuted by the Poles. And that was his rationale to roll into Poland and take over the country. That's what Putin is doing right now. In accordance with Article 51, Chapter 7 of the UN Charter, really, you're going to hide behind a UN Charter, with permission of Russia's Federation Council and an execution of the Treaties of Friendship and Mutual Assistance with the Donetsk People's Republic and the Lugansk People's Republic, again, he's now naming them and calling them independent states, ratified by the Federal Assembly on February 22nd, I made a decision to carry out a special military operation. Okay, so if you're seeing what happened here, now he's... He rolled into the Crimea and the uh, and into these lands in 2014, and now he's saying they're independent, and now they're asking for help, these independent states, against the aggression of their former country. He goes on, we will seek to demilitarize and denazify Ukraine. Again, laughable when your president's Jewish, whatever, as uh, as well as bring a trial to those who perpetrated numerous, numerous bloody crimes against civilians, including the citizens of, Ru of the Russia Federation. I mean, it's it's almost like bizarre that he he would be able to say with a straight face, uh, uh, perpetuate numerous bloody crimes against civilians. That that's what he's doing right now to the Ukrainian people. Uh, it's not our plan to occupy the Ukrainian territory. That's because you can't. You cannot. If you try to hold on a sustained occupation in Ukraine, you are going to be bludgeoned. It will, it will cost you in time, treasure, talent, your soldiers, your wealth. You will not be able to sustain it. He had to roll over Ukraine like he ran over Georgia in 20, 2008. In Georgia, they ran over, they overcame Georgia in a week and Georgia gave up and is now part of that sphere, right? So they're doing the same, it's the same playbook, but the Ukrainian people started fighting back. And that's what's amazing. Like when the president said, I don't need a ride, I need ammunition. Powerful. Like he stayed and fought and so they stay and fought. We have been hearing an increasing number of statements coming from the West that there is no need anymore to abide by the documents setting forth the outcomes of World War II as signed by the totalitarian Soviet regime. How can we respond to that? That's right. Those agreements that you have with the Soviet Union, they collapsed. The Soviet Union dissolved. You're no longer the Soviet Union. They don't abide by these because that's not a thing anymore. The outcomes of World War II, he says, and the sacrifices of our people had to make to defeat Nazism are sacred. Hey, that's true. I don't I don't fault you for having lost. I mean, you, you did get pretty well bloodied in World War II. I mean, 20 million people in World War Like, you had great sacrifice, but that's not the point. Let me remind you that the people living in the territories, which are part of today's Ukraine, were not asked how they want to build their lives when the USSR uh, was created or after World War II. This is the height of irony. They weren't asked when you rolled over and took over by force and made them your servants, your slaves, right? Freedom guides our policy, the freedom to choose independently our future and the future of our children. We believe that all the peoples living in today's Ukraine, anyone who want to do this must be able to enjoy this right to make a free choice. Then why are you invading? Because freedom to you means freedom to have Ukraine under your control so that that you have this buffer zone between you and the West. 
Okay. But that's not the same thing as freedom. In this context, I would like to address the citizens of Ukraine. In 2014, Russia was obliged to protect the people of Crimea and Sevastopol. Okay. There were Soviet or there were Russian ethnics that were in danger of somehow, which, and they came in to protect them. They made their choice in favor of being with the historical homeland Russia. Well, by force. I mean, they made their choice at the barrel of a gun because you took them. Uh, the current events have nothing to do with the desire to infringe on the interest of the Ukraine and Ukrainian people. They are connected with defending Russia from those who have taken Ukraine hostage. You hear what he's saying? They should be part of Russia or part of Russia's sphere of influence or whatever. I reiterate, we are acting to defend ourselves from the threats created for us. The West is bad and they cause this. I mean, it's everywhere in his speech. I would also like to address the military personnel of the Ukrainian armed forces. Comrades, your fathers and grandfathers and great-grandfathers did not fight the Nazi occupiers and did not defend our common motherland to allow today's neo-Nazis to seize power in Ukraine. Uh, I urge you to refuse to carry out their criminal orders. I urge you to immediately lay down arms and go home. The military personnel of the Ukrainian army who do this will be able to freely leave the zone of hostilities and return to their families. I want to emphasize again that all responsibility for possible bloodshed will lie fully and wholly with the ruling Ukrainian regime. Okay, one, they didn't do that. They fought back and they fought back relentlessly and they fought back um, with arming civilians who were going to fight back because like they're, they're not taking this. But look how he, he puts the blame back on the other side for their invasion. Well, we invaded because we had to. And I want to emphasize again that responsibility for bloodshed will lie with the Ukrainian regime, who's making us do this after all. Okay, for those who may be tempted to interfere in these developments from the outside, now he's talking to the West and NATO and the United States, no matter who tries to stand in our way or all the more create threats for us and our country and our people, they must know that Russia will respond immediately and the consequences will be such that you have never seen in your entire history. What he's doing is saber rattling, saying, look, you mess with us, we're going to nuke you. Now, this leads to a really interesting thing, because NATO is now kind of nervous about doing anything, any NATO country doing something to support, to actively militarily support the Ukraine. Because if, let's say, Poland does, that Poland sends troops in, and then the, the Russia attacks Poland, now we have World War III, because Article 5 of the uh, NATO charter has been invoked an attack on one is an attack on all they forgot so there's this weird like donut hole in in the way that this works uh, because now they're too big and if they do act militarily to support the ukraine then they can create world war three quickly and if they don't act then they can you know russia can roll right over the ukraine so it's a really bizarre kind of thing the spirit of nato was to stop soviet aggression this is essentially the same thing and they're not stopping it um but some are stepping up switzerland has frozen the bank accounts of the russians they've never done anything like that before uh arms are being sent from a number of different countries to provide for so so they're they're figuring out where the line is um but again putin saying that if if World War III happens, it's your fault. You're starting it. Okay. Then he says, citizens of Russia, we know that uh, having justice and truth on our side is what makes us truly strong. 
brilliant. This is this is him. I, like with a straight face, he said this. We know that having justice and truth on our side is what makes us strong. If this is the case, it would be hard to disagree with the fact that it is our strength and our readiness to fight that are the bedrock of independence and sovereignty and provide the necessary foundation for building a reliable future for your home, your family, and your motherland. Dear compatriots, I am certain that devoted soldiers and officers of Russia's armed forces will perform their duty with professionalism and courage. I have no doubt that the government's institutions at all levels and specialists will work effectively to guarantee stability of our economy, financial system, and social well-being. Well, your economy's dropped like a rock. That's partly due to sanctions. Uh, you have protests in your own streets. Like, And by the way, I have deep respect for protesters in Russia. Like, I mean, if you are in Russia protesting Putin, you know you're going to jail. I, I respect. I mean, that is crazy. That That's not the same thing as rioting and looting and protests here where you're going to get, you know, free stuff from the store in, at the same time. That's that's a whole different world when you know you're going to jail, like for a long time in a very bad place, maybe Siberia. Um and and without any recourse, like nobody's bailing you out. You're this is what's happening. It's a totalitarian state in many regards. Still, finally, he concludes the decisions that I have made will be executed. That we will achieve the goals we have set and reliably guarantee the security of our motherland. Now that might be the most telling phrase because that's what this is all about. They're trying to take Ukraine or at least a big portion of Ukraine to have this buffer zone between. Russia and the West. That's what he's doing, let alone the mineral rights that are in the like when he goes, he's going to chop off a big part of the the um, the coastline uh, in the Baltic. And when he does that, he's going to have the mineral rights to the coastline, including natural gas, which he has to right now pipe, pipeline through uh, Ukraine and Ukraine charges for that. That's why that that the new pipeline that's going to Germany around Ukraine was such a big deal because they're going to cut Ukraine out of the picture. So, I mean, yeah, I, I hope that this gave you a, a sense of what's going on in Putin's head, how he's thinking about what's going on and how he's painting this to his people. Now, I believe that he believes some of it. Right. I, I don't I don't think he's just making crap up. I think he really believes that this is a defensive thing. We must act. NATO keeps pushing forward, you know, forward to the east. And so we must act. And but I think he's also he also knows that this isn't about freedom. This is really about him having a buffer zone and him getting natural resources. And he's maybe not telling the whole truth in this. So. Um, I hope that helps you understand what's going on in Putin's mind. If you like this video, please uh, give me a thumbs up. Subscribe. I talk about everything related to leadership. And while this is a little bit on the outskirts of leadership, understanding what's going on in the world is important. And it helps you understand how this leader thinks and how you should be processing what's going on.